the world's favorite tax collector who became a follower of Jesus. Join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through 28 days of Matthew. We are this morning, we are going to be in Matthew 27. So we've come a long way to get to Matthew 27. We've been to the birth of Jesus. Uh, he taught, he healed, he sent out his disciples. And then we saw that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because Jesus was drawing a crowd and doing things that they had not seen before, uh, they had set out to kill him. He enters into Jerusalem, and now we realize that, yeah, they are definitely going to kill him. Uh, there's no way Jesus is going to survive this death that they're going to have in store for him. Uh, we've seen how Judas has gone and made a deal with them that uh, he's going to go and point out Jesus with a kiss. Uh, and Jesus has been arrested. Uh, so uh, that's kind of where we are in Matthew 27. And like I said, this is more of a somber occasion. This is, this is our Good Friday, I guess you could say, because all of this happens on Good Friday even though it's Thursday. So uh, let's, let's go ahead and get into it this morning and uh, see what God's word has to say for us as we look at Matthew 27. Matthew 27, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate the governor when Judas, who betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. Well, what is that to us, they replied. That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests pick up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for the foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Wow. So uh, we saw earlier that Jesus had made a deal with the Pharisees and the Sadducees that he would point out Jesus. He would give them a kiss. Uh, they came. They saw that Judas pointed out Jesus. And then they uh, arrested Jesus. And then Judas was overcome with remorse. Now, this is... Uh, this is really interesting because there are some apocryphal writings, some uh, Gnostic writings, some early first, second century writings uh, that, that basically said that Judas and Jesus, this is not in scripture. This is extra scriptural writings and apocryphal stories, uh, stories that are just, that were circulating and they wrote them down. But that uh, Jesus and Judas actually had a plan together that this was going to happen, that Judas was in on the plan. Jesus had told Judas that he should do this, um, but that is not anywhere in any of the scriptures. And if that had been anywhere in any of the scriptures, then I doubt that Judas would have killed himself because he would have been following the plan that Jesus had pointed out all along. 
So I believe that this is basically Judas who had betrayed Jesus. Uh, and then after he saw that innocent blood had been condemned and was going to die, uh, I don't know what Judas was thinking about. Did he not know that this is what was going to happen? I mean, Jesus was a political dissident. Jesus was going up against the powers and the force of Jerusalem, uh, the Roman Empire, uh, King Herod. He was going up against all of it. And did he think that he was going to win? Um, of course he was going to die. Judas, if he even thought about it for 10 seconds, he would have realized what he was doing to Jesus. And finally, you know, after all of this, uh, he has Jesus arrested and now Jesus is going to die. Uh, and Judas just feels terrible remorse about this. Um, there are uh, some branches of Christianity, uh, particularly the Coptic Christians. Now, the Coptic Christians are the ones, uh, the ones that remained kind of in Jerusalem. You know, you have most of Christianity going up to, into Europe, but some of Christianity went into Africa, stayed in the Middle East and Jerusalem area. Some of those uh, sects, those tribes, actually believe that Judas, um, uh, well, yeah, that, 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 that they follow scripture for sure, uh, but they might be kinder to Judas uh, because of this uh, seemingly repentance that he has. Uh, but, but the fact is, is that he did betray Jesus. It was innocent blood. There is no way that he can get around this. So he takes the blood money, this, this 30 pieces of silver. He goes to the temple. He throws it at the feet of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and said, I don't want this money anymore. And he goes and he hangs himself. Uh, he had to have felt tremendous remorse because hanging yourself is not necessarily something that you should do. Uh, but I can see if you find that you have no way out, that you would hang yourself. I know that... Um, you know, particularly over the last several years, there have been certain sects of our own population have felt that there's no way forward. Uh, they've either been depressed or they look at the future of their life and they say it's just not worth it anymore. And that the actual, the pain of dying uh, is less than the pain of living. But uh, anytime you take your own life, the impacts of that event, the impacts of taking your own life go far beyond just, I mean, you're the one who is, uh, who's saved from this, right? You have a few moments of pain and then, then, you know, you're blissfully out of your pain. But think about the people that love you, that care about you, the, the, the world around you. I had a friend in college whose, uh, grandmother committed suicide. And, uh, I've known other people who have, uh, who've committed suicide. I've known their families. Th these are some things that that you never recover from. Uh, these are things that can drive people insane knowing that a loved one committed suicide and that they either didn't hear it, uh, they didn't listen, you know, was there something they could have done? Uh, is, there, is there a way possibly we could have done anything different to prevent this? And the guilt that happens with that is just, it can stay with the person for the rest of their life. Uh, it is easy to commit suicide. I will tell you that for some people, you know, they look at the bleakness of life and they say, yeah, I could do this. And they get it off easy. But everybody else that has to struggle with that event uh, will struggle for the rest of their life. And, and sometimes there are no answers. 
and it, it will drive people insane. The impact of that one event goes from generation to generation, potentially even to generation. It is a horrible, horrible thing. Um, if you're listening to my voice and you've ever considered it, I'm so grateful that you haven't. And if you ever in the future are considering it, don't. Uh, it, the impact of that, it is, a, it is a wickedly cruel thing to do to the world around you, uh, to do that. Um, so, uh, but Judas, he, he takes the easy route out. He goes and he hangs himself. And then it's interesting, the chief priests pick up the coins and they say, well, you know, this is blood money. We know that what Judas, Judas did was wrong. We can't, we can't take this money back. Uh, so we're going, to, we're going to use it in some other way that's not going to go into the treasury. Of course, they found a way to use it, right? They, they're not going to say no to blood money at all. But they did find a way to use it. They bought this potter's field. And then again, you have, you have Matthew, who is always trying to show in his gospel that Jesus is the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. And so he quotes the Old Testament here. They took 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. Now, this prophecy I find fascinating because um, they actually did buy a potter's field for 30 pieces of silver. So this one is amazing. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to continue on. We're going to go to verse 11. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him a message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What then shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead of an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, His blood is on us and our children. Then he released Babas to them, but he had Jesus flogged 
and handed him over to be crucified. So we get to the end. Pilate does not want to kill Jesus. He sees no crime worthy of capital punishment. He has a difficult job. On the one hand, he wants to keep the peace. He wants to keep the people from rioting. He had this tradition every year that he would hand over somebody from prison. A lot of times, most of these, politi- most of these prisoners were not murderers. Uh, they were political prisoners. Uh, and so to try to keep the peace, uh, he would pardon As you know, we have a government system here in the United States, and sometimes we find out that people are overcharged with a crime, and so sometimes you can have a governor or you can have a president pardon people. It's the same thing back in in Judah's time, in uh, in Jesus' time. Pilate says, okay, I'm going to hand someone over today. It's my custom to do this. Which one do you want? Do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus? And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they don't want Jesus released. They don't want going around Galilee and preaching again. Uh, They want to have him crucified. And so they convince the crowd that they should have Barabbas released. And so the crowd says, Barabbas. And so Pilate has no choice. He washes his hands and he says, his blood is not on me. This, This man, Jesus, he's probably innocent but his blood is not on me, it is on all of you. So his blood was on the crowd that shouted Barabbas, but more importantly, he was, his blood was on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They put Jesus to death. I know that, that Judas sold out Jesus for 30 silver coins, but the coins came from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was the chief priests and the rulers it was the people in the temple. It was the religious people of the day that had Jesus put to death. He was an innocent man. And they crucified an innocent man. And that blood is on them. There are some uh, tribes of Christianity, some sects that say that Pilate later became a Christian. Uh, not really much evidence of that. It is interesting that... Um, There are some historians from this time period. We have uh, Josephus, who you may have heard. It's called the the Antiquities of the Jews. And he covers a huge entire, uh, from before Jesus until after Jesus, he covers an incredible history of the Jewish people. And it's called the Antiquities of the Jews. And he writes about this uh, incident. Uh, Actually saw a historian um, Paul Meyer, he's a professor of history in, or at Northwestern Michigan University, wherever Paul Meyer is. And uh, I saw him talk about this. The, the Josephus that was passed down has some additional text in it uh, that probably was not written by Josephus. It was probably a later edition by highly Christian people to talk about Jesus. But when you remove that stuff, Uh, you still get an account of Jesus being crucified by Pontius Pilate uh, and that that there were rumors that he had risen again. I mean, you get that part in Josephus. Tacitus, who is a Roman historian, also talks about Pontius Pilate being governor and this crucifixion of this guy named Jesus. So there's even extra biblical accounts from that are contemporary with scripture that talks about this death of Jesus. Now, it's only a little bit, 
of stuff. And uh, certainly there's not a whole lot more because in the Roman Empire, they were doing other things. This is just this little tiny death out in the middle of this hick town called Jerusalem from this guy from Galilee. Uh, didn't even raise a, a radar blimp. A couple historians talk about it. Uh, but this death was the most profound death in the history of mankind. Because this death, in this death, Jesus took all the weight of the sin. He brought in the kingdom into this world and he started a new movement called the Way, which eventually was called Christianity. And that movement has never died down. And the people in that movement believe that they're firmly ensconced in the kingdom of God and Jesus is ruling on the throne uh, for that kingdom. And I happen to be a follower of that kingdom. So, uh, but this is the death. Uh, Barabbas is released and Jesus is then flogged. We continue with verse, verse 27. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. So this is the, uh, this is the mocking of Jesus, that, that they will put the royal robe, this, this, this garment robe that they put on Jesus represents royalty, and they put a crown of thorns on Jesus, and they beat the crown of thorns. So after he's been flogged, he's, he's humiliated, he's mocked. Uh, that he's the king of the Jews. He says he's the king of the Jews. If he's the king of the Jews, let's see if he can get out of this. And they mock him and spit on him and beat on him. And it, it must have been extremely painful and it must have been extremely humiliating. And uh, for the crowd, it must have been deeply disturbing, I hope. Uh, then, they, then they take the robe off of Jesus and then they led him off to die. Uh, that, that mankind can show so much cruelty to another person is sometimes very much beyond my ability to comprehend. Why do people do such things? And we've seen it in governments throughout history where, where people or tribes or leaders will, will kill the things that they're afraid of, kill the things they don't understand, and they'll kill to maintain power. Uh, it's, and I've never understood this, but it is part of the history of our human race. We are a deeply flawed race. After the fall, after we were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, uh, we are not perfect by any means. And we do horribly, horribly cruel things. And this, this mocking of Jesus, this, this beating him and putting the crown of thorns and beating the crown of thorns into his head and hitting him with a stick and keeping him to the point of almost death, is just, I think, one of the worst cruel things that we can do. Uh, I am so grateful that, we, uh, that we've moved beyond this, at least in the United States. But I know in other places around the world, 
Uh, I've heard stories about different despots and rulers that that want to make a point or an example of a political dissident and they'll torture and it even still goes on today to some extent in some places around the world. And we have we have world organizations trying to, you know, to gin up support across the world to not let these people do this. But every nation is a sovereign nation unless you overthrow it, right? Uh, and so there's not, there's, we can use the bully puppet, uh, but we, and we can use sanctions, we can use all sorts of things to try to prevent leaders from doing things like this. But in the end, if you are a leader of a nation, you are in control of that nation, uh, you, this is something that you can do with abandon. And we've seen how rulers can do this. And it breaks my heart that the human condition can actually do this kind of beating. But uh, it's always been with us. And it probably will till Jesus comes again. So we get to verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon. And they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. So again, we have this crucifixion. It's, uh, it was the Roman way of killing. Uh, we typically see it in a cross uh, where we have a crossbar and a vertical member and they would carry the cross. And when they carried the cross, it wasn't the full cross that they would carry. It was, uh, it was just one of the members of the cross. It had a hole, a hole on it. And then they would lift up that piece of it and place it on the vertical member. Uh, it, was, it was how they um, made the person carry the cross. It was uh, when they, when they per, put a person on the cross, they nailed. Typically one into the wrist about right here big thick nails they would nail them to that cross beam then they would lift up that cross beam onto the vertical beam and then they would tie up the legs and uh, it was a very very painful way to exist uh, it was apparently an excruciating painful way to die uh, and you didn't die by the pain you died by suffocation the romans were really 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 good at finding ways to have people die uh, in extreme agony and pain. And to see the pain of this must have been horrible, absolutely horrible. Uh, there's also pictures of what they called the Roman cross. And the Roman cross was an X and they would, it, they would do the same thing, but they would put the, put the uh, nail the people to the X in a different way. It's not entirely clear from the scripture here, which is the one that Jesus was nailed on. But the fact that what has survived is the cross that we have, the one with the vertical and the cross beam, leads most of us to believe that it was probably that was the way that Jesus died. 
And it makes sense here with the, with the way that he carried his cross with him onto Gal Golgotha. Uh, they were, there were two people. Jesus wasn't the only one that died that day. There were two others. And they hurled insults on him too. Um, but Jesus, at this point, is on the cross. We continue. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults upon him. Again, now the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders and the, the people who are being crucified with Jesus and the crowd, everybody is crucified or is watching this, this Jesus be crucified. And how they can do this is beyond my comprehension. I've never understood it, uh, but it is the human condition. The death of Jesus, verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing around there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rock split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified. And they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and Mary, the mother of Zebedee's sons. So this is the death of Jesus. He's on the cross. We've, we see this and all four Gospels have an account and each have a different take on what this is. But what we see is this agonizing of creation, the groaning of creation as Jesus dies, uh, the curtain in the temple torn in two. We, we see that as, uh, as, as an indication that, uh, that now Jesus has become the per perfect sacrifice uh, we see dead people raising up to life as a, as a foretaste of Jesus raising to life. We see the earth trembling with an earthquake. And it's not surprising because this event, this event foretold by the prophets, promised of God in the Garden of Eden and planned before God, even before the creation of the world, this one event 
this crucifixion and death of Jesus, where he would bear all the sins of mankind on him, was the focal point of all of creation. The whole entire point of creation up to Jesus points to this, and everything after Jesus looks back at this one event. It is not surprising that the earth shook because the angels in heaven, God himself uh, sitting on the throne, must have been weeping terribly at this horrible death of Jesus. But it had to happen. It had to happen. This was the reason why he came. And it's the reason why we can be in the kingdom. Because Jesus shows that he has power and life and breath that comes tomorrow, but it all shows that Jesus' death, these, these few days are, are the quintessential center of all humanity. And what does the earth do but groan in its presence? The women were there, the centurion were there, and they were terrified. They look around at all this and they say, surely this man was the son of God. He was innocent. They killed an innocent man. The earth shakes. Surely he was innocent, and he was innocent. But he's not dying without sin upon his shoulders. It's our sin upon his shoulders. And it wasn't, he could have snapped his fingers and had the angels of heaven come and rescue him off the cross. Uh, you'll notice that they gave him some hyssop to drink. It was, a, it was something, or a, it was a myrrh to drink. It was a painkiller. But Jesus doesn't even take the painkiller. He looks at his accusers and he says, I'm going to take the full force of the pain that you've inflicted upon me and that's going to live with you for the rest of your life. You're doing this to me. Uh, and then he breathes his last. We continue on. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. So Joseph, this apparently wealthy man, rich man from Arimathea, he comes and asks Pilate for the body. Pilate gives it to him. He gently takes Jesus down off the cross, wraps him in some cloths, and puts him in his brand new tomb. My understanding is, is that if you go to Israel now, if you go to Jerusalem, you can actually see this tomb uh, where, where Jesus' body lay. Um, it, would be, uh, it would be exciting to see that someday, wouldn't it? Uh, just to be where all of this happened. He... Uh, puts him in the tomb and says goodbye. Mary Magdalene and other Marys were sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. 
Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. So there we have it. Jesus is laid down, put in the tomb. Uh, the guards come to the Pharisees and the chief priests say, we want a guard. We want a guard to guard this tomb because we don't want him to come out. He said he was going to be raised again. We heard about what he did with Lazarus. We don't want the same fraud to happen here. So they put a guard in front of the tomb. They roll the stone and that's where they stay. The tomb is guarded. Jesus is dead. And... Um, we come to the end of chapter 27. Now, normally on, on uh, Good Friday, uh, when we celebrate this death, uh, we say the Lord's Prayer and then we all leave in silence. And um, I think today we will just say a quick prayer and I'll leave you in silence as you contemplate the events of this day. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, it was for your love of us that you went to the cross. And we know that it wasn't the nails that held you to the cross, Lord, but your love for us, your love for your humanity. As you took upon yourself the weight of all the sin, all the imperfection, all the inhumanity that man has against man, and you took it upon the cross to yourself. Lord, on this day, we remember your death and we thank you for your death, your death so that we would not have to suffer the ultimate death. Lord, on this day, we pray for Neva's cousin, uh, Mr. Hoffman, who was uh, taken ill and then died recently. We pray that you be with his family as they mourn the death of their loved one. Lord, on this day, fill us with your grace and your spirit as we contemplate your love for us. We pray this in your name. 